everyone there um, signed a covenant together. We committed to one another and to God that we would obey this verse, Ephesians 4.29, and that we would keep each other accountable to only speak encouraging words to one another. And if we had anything unwholesome to say, we would keep it to ourselves. Well, you wouldn't believe the way over time this changed the culture of our group. There was a joy and there was a unity that developed. There was a love for one another that hadn't been there before. And before long, other people on campus, people that we knew, began to sense it and want to hang out with us, want to be with us. We also found ourselves talking more about God in the dining hall and encouraging one another with what we saw God doing in one another's lives. And sure, we still got frustrated with one another, and sometimes we had to speak some hard truths in love, and we had to figure out how to do that. But it's amazing what you can hear from other people who are always telling you why they love you. I remember one time two young women in the fellowship who I was pretty close to uh, and who who I really knew respected me and cared about me, they cornered me and they double-teamed me. And they sat me down and they talked to me pretty strongly about the way I was relating to some of the younger women in the fellowship and the way I might be leading them on. And because these two were always encouraging me, I was able to thank them for their rebuke and to grow in that area as a result. Well, when, when we as, as a group set out to, to live this verse out together and we covenanted together to do so because we sensed that it might make a big difference and it might open up the way for the Holy Spirit to do a powerful work among us, we were intuitively sensing what it turns out that Paul is saying in the bigger argument of Ephesians of which these verses are a part. So think with me for a few minutes about this. Before we look at this verse in detail and we get really practical, let's orient ourselves in the book of Ephesians. Flip back, if if you have your Bible, to the beginning of Ephesians 4. Because there Paul is painting a picture, a a grand vision of what he wants the community of Jesus' followers to be. He says, starting in verse 12, that that God's people need to be equipped for, for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. Until verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, skipping in verse 14, we won't be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, but instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that that is Christ. And then, verse 16, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is an incredible picture. What a vision for a new kind of community. Paul, uh, as he often does, is mixing his metaphors here. He's talking about being built up, which is is repeating a metaphor he used back in chapter 2, verses 21 to 22, when he compared us to a temple being built up, a building where God lives by his spirit. And then Paul mixes his metaphors, and he's also comparing us to a body, to Christ's body. Christ the head, providing, uh, is the head, providing 
um, us with direction, providing us with nourishment. And we're growing up into that head, becoming more closely connected to the head. And so we're, we're growing in unity, we're, we're growing up into maturity, we're loving each other, we're continuing to build each other up so that we're closer to Christ and we're more like Christ. That's Paul's vision for, for a new community that, that God is building among Christ's followers. But then Paul goes on and he thinks, I better remind them how. I better remind them what it takes to reach this vision. And that is that they're going to have to live new lives. And so that's what Paul says next in verse 17 and following. I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And then in verse 20, that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him. So he talks about living a new life. Paul says if you're going to become this new community, then you have to live in new ways. Not like you used to live. And then Paul thinks, well, well, I better remind them how they're going to be able to live these new lives. I better remind them what living a new life takes. It takes becoming new selves, becoming new people. And so in verses 22 to 24, Paul reminds them, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do you hear it? How, how, how do we live new lives? We do it by changing our clothes, spiritually speaking. We put off our old self, and we put on our new self. The, the new self, which is created to be like Christ in true righteousness and holiness. So that's the flow of Paul's argument here. A, a new vision for a new kind of community. People who are, who are being built up to, to be a new building in which God lives. Or to change the analogy, we're growing up to mature as a, a new body, the body of Christ. Growing in unity, growing in maturity into Christ. He's our head. He directs and nourishes us. And how will this new vision be realized? To live as a new community, we have to live new lives. And how do we live new lives? We'll live them by becoming new selves. Taking off our old self and putting on the new one that God is creating to make more like Christ. And it's in that context that we have today's passage. Because Paul then goes on in the rest of Ephesians 4, excuse me, to, to tell us in very practical terms what it looks like to put on these new selves who live this new kind of life so we can be this new kind of community. And so Paul begins listing a bunch of practical things, snapshots of this new way of living, this, this new self that we're to put on. He says in verse 25, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. In your anger, don't sin. Don't steal, but do useful work with your hands so that you have something to share with those in need. And then our verse, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And then he goes on, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive each other. All good advice, yes, but more. It's all a picture 
of what it looks like to put on our new selves so that we can live new lives, so that we can fulfill the vision of the new community that God is calling us to become. And that's what my friends and I discovered and and tasted in college. And in our case, as we spoke new words, we became more of that new community. And so against that backdrop, let's now focus in on, on this verse, verse 29. And boy, do we New Yorkers need to hear this verse. Right? Because we have a bit of an attitude in New York. We kind of pride ourselves on telling it like it is. Giving it to them straight and without apology. And if they don't like it, well, that's their problem. Let them deal with it. Let them go back to Boston or wherever they're from. And, and you know, there, there's something good about this. I, I don't know if you've ever lived in a fakey, fakey, nice, nice culture where, uh, where people are always nice to you, but then they t- stab you in the back and they're passive aggressive. And, and so you're always on your guard. You, you never know where you really stand with anyone. Well, at least in New York, we don't play those games. We're up front. But we often go too far in the opposite direction. And we blurt things out that shouldn't be said. We tell them the truth as we see it, but, but we're not telling it in love. And, and CBC isn't immune from this problem. In fact, some of you have told me over the years the hurtful things that others in this church have said to you. Things which were downright rude and insensitive. Don't worry, people never, never tell me who says these things. I, I don't know who you are, but I know that you're out there. <laughs> and, and, and people are being hurt. And they're being discouraged. And occasionally, they've had to steal themselves before they came to church. To prepare themselves and to put on their their brave game face because they didn't know when you or whoever you are were going to walk up to them and say something inappropriate or critical or mean-spirited. And who knows, maybe you don't even realize you're doing it. Maybe you think about others, hey, this is New York, don't be so sensitive, get over it. But here's what Paul says to all of us. He says, if you want to be a new community, the new community God wants you to be, you need to live new lives. You need to put on new selves. And that means, among other things, you need to learn to speak new words. New words. So let's look at this verse. Paul begins, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The Greek word translated unwholesome in the the NIV translation here can also be translated corrupt or foul or even rotten. It's used in the Bible of of fish that were caught but aren't worth keeping or fruit on the trees that's not worth eating or wood that's not worth using. So useless might actually be a good translation. It, It could be words that are useless because they aren't true or because they're critical or nasty or abusive, words that are gossipy, words that are discouraging negative words, or words that are profane curse words. All these kinds of words, Paul says in other places, are unwholesome. They're, they're useless. And here's the thing. Our hearts have a lot of these words bubbling up inside of us, right? They're in there. I've got them inside of me. But Paul says, don't let them come out of your mouth. 
as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 141.3, set a guard, set a watch over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. In other words, don't let these kinds of words come out. Bite your tongue. Don't make that Facebook post. Don't speak or tweet useless, unhelpful, worthless, unwholesome words. Instead, Paul says, these are the words you should speak. Only these words. Words that are helpful for building others up. Building others up, or as the King James translation puts it, edifying words. Because remember the vision. God is building a new community. It's his own temple. He lives among us. God's growing and maturing a body, a unified body, a body that's growing up into Christ to be like Christ. Again, back in verse 12, so that that body may be built up. Same phrase, build up. Verse 16 also, as the body builds itself up. In love, that's the goal. We've got a job to do to achieve this vision. We've got to build something. We've got to build up a community, a unified community, unified in faith, a mature community growing to be like Christ. That's the vision, to build that kind of community. And it has to be built. And with our words, we build it. Or with our words, we tear it apart. So Paul says, to achieve this new community, you need to speak new words. Not unwholesome, unuseful words, but helpful words. Literally, the Greek says, good words, words that build up. So let me ask you, do your words build up the body of Christ, the words you speak? Do your words make us as a community more like what Christ wants us to be? Well, Paul describes a bit further what these words are to be like. He says, they benefit those who listen. Literally, the Greek says, they give grace to those who listen, or they do a favor to those who listen. Are your words gifts? Do they confer a benefit? Do they do a favor? Do they offer and extend grace? Do they build people up? Or, or rather, they, they do. They do do those things. They, they, they do a favor. They give a gift. They confer grace if they build people up, if they promote unity, if they encourage maturity, if they help people to grow up into Christ. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't say some hard things sometimes. Back in verse 15, Paul says we should speak the truth in love. But let me tell you, when you've got your New Yorker on, and you're speaking your mind, and you're telling the truth, are you doing it in love? Are you really doing it to build that other person up? Are you trying to benefit them? Are you trying to give them grace? What are your real motives? Because let me give you some motives which might be speaking the truth as you see it, but not in love. Have you ever wanted to humble someone? To cut them down to size. Oh, you know, that one's too big for the britches. They need to be taken down a notch. They're they're so arrogant. They're so smug. And and I'm going to tell them what they really need to hear. I'll tell them the truth. And so you do, at least as you see it. But it's not spoken in love. It's, It's not going to build them up. Or what about fixing people? If only he would do this. Or if only she would be like that. We want to fix people, so we, so we say things to them, and we tell ourselves that it's 
for their own good. But really, it's, it's not that we love them. It's just that we want to fix them. Or, or how about this? We want to control people. We want to make them do what we think they should do. Because our way is the right way, right? Our way is better. Well, we can see how it should be. And oh, if only we were in charge of the world, we'd fix everything. If they would just do it every, they would just do it our way, everything would be good. Or how about this one? We want to punish people, right? We're mad, we're, we're resentful. We want to say that thing to them that will really get them. Is it true? Well, maybe it's true, but not spoken in love. Not meant to build them up, rather meant to tear them down. We can tear people down with the truth if we don't do it in love. And guess what? People can tell. They, they can tell the motive behind what we say. They can tell if it's really love driving us or if it's something else. All right, let's get even more practical now. How do we learn to speak new words so that we can become a new community? Well, to start, Paul says, watch your mouth. Watch it. And I picture it like this. I've, I've got all these words inside wanting to come out. And, and I'm supposed to, to post a guard, a, a security officer at my mouth. If, if the words are coming out of your mouth faster than you can check them at the door to see if they're useful, to see if they're going to build up, then you need to slow down and shut your mouth. If your words are coming out so fast that you can't ID them, at the door, and tell if they're useful or not, then you're talking too fast and too much. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Keep control over what you say. And so James urges us in his letter, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow down enough that you can maintain control of the words that come out of your mouth. Anne, my dear wife, has been blessed with plenty of words. And occasionally when we've had an argument, I've had her walk out of the room right in the middle of it. And early in our marriage, I was offended um, because it, me it meant, felt to me like she was shutting down the conversation. But, but then she explained that, that what she had wanted to say next in the heat of the argument would not be helpful. And so she was slowing down her mouth. She was setting a guard over it till she could regain control of, of what she was going to say. Have you learned to do that? To, to watch your mouth? Let me give you some suggestions of how to tell which words should be allowed out. First, don't be in the habit of offering unsolicited criticism or advice. People, if people aren't asking you for your input, and if it's not your job, it's not on your job description to give them feedback, then why are you giving it to them? Who appointed you? Is it really that you just love them so much? Or are you just being the self-appointed giver of advice and wisdom? Here's the thing. Nine times out of ten, people need encouragement way more than they need your advice. Now, hold on a second, because there is a time for speaking the truth and giving advice, and I'll get to that. But, but second, ask yourself, 
is the truth that you plan to share really God's truth, or is it just your two cents? Because when Paul says to speak the truth in love in 4.15, he's talking about gospel truth. He's talking about truth about God, which will point people to Christ and which will build them up spiritually. He's not talking about your personal opinions about X, Y, or Z. So ask yourself, is it God's truth or is it your personal two cents? And then third, follow the nine to one rule. Psychologists say that we need to hear nine encouraging things for every criticism. And I don't know if it's really nine to one or if it's five to one or if it's seven to one. I've heard different numbers. But hear hear the point. We all need a lot of encouragement. And if we're not feeling encouraged, it's, it's very hard for us to take correction and criticism. Ann and I have, have thought about it this way in our marriage. The question, how full is your love tank? Now, I know it's kind of cheesy, I'll admit, but, but it makes the point. How loved by Ann am I feeling? Because if my love tank is full, then she can say some pretty hard things to me and I can take it. But if I'm on empty, if I'm already feeling unloved and unappreciated and criticized, then I can't take it. And that one comment may just put me over the edge. You've all experienced that, right? And Anne's the same in relation to me. And and so before you criticize someone, ask, how encouraging have you been to them lately? Have you filled up their tank? Do they feel loved? Do they feel appreciated? Do they feel admired? I'll tell you, there are some of you who, who have been so encouraging to me, I just love to see you coming. Because you always have something positive to say. And, and it, if you need to correct me, if you have some advice, I would gladly receive it, because I know that you love me. But there have been others in my life when if they walk my way, do you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, oh no, here he comes. Here she comes. What is it this time? And I've got to steal myself. Okay, be gracious. Hear them out. See if there's any truth in it. But chances are they've ruined my day. Because they hardly ever say anything encouraging. And so forth, consider whether you are the person person who should say the thing that needs to be said. Are you the person to do it? You know, we do need to have hard conversations. The opposite extreme here is is that we Christians think we're supposed to be nicey-nice all the time, and so we tiptoe around each other. We never call anyone on anything. We think plenty of bad things about them, but but we never say those things. We just smile with our fake hellos. That's not Paul's vision. That doesn't build up the body of Christ. We do have to share hard truths sometimes, but, but why do we do it? And how do we do it? And when and who? So are you the person to do it? Do you have such a strong relationship with this person um, that you're the person to do it? Because here's the thing about relationships. Hard, uh, or saying hard things to another person are like driving a loaded truck over a bridge. The truck is the message that needs to be delivered, and, and the bridge is the strength of that relationship that has to bear the weight of the message. How strong is your relationship with this person? 
Are, are you close to them? Do, do they know that you love them? Have, have you been reminding them of that lately? Do they trust you? Do they respect you? If your relationship is, is strong enough, or, or, or rather, is your relationship strong enough to, to bear the load of the weight of the message that needs to be said? That's the question. How, and then how heavy, how hard is that message? If the relationship is strong, then, then the bridge can handle a good deal of weight. But if the relationship's weak, if it isn't strong, and you drive a heavy truck over, that bridge, that relationship may well break, and down goes that message, and it doesn't get through. And so as I've prayed about whether I'm the one who should say something hard to someone and, and what the right time is, here are, here are two simple questions that I've learned to ask. One, how strong is my relationship with them? Do they trust me? Is there closeness there? Do they respect me? Do they know that I love them? And then second question, how heavy is that message? How hard to hear? How challenging will it be for them? And based on that, maybe I'm the person to say it. Or maybe, unless I sense God is really calling me to say it, maybe I need to trust that God is someone who's closer to them to say it instead. All right, fifth piece of advice. If you need to change the way you speak to people, practice behind their back when they're not in the room. You know those people who, that you go home and you grumble about them? You grumble to yourself or you grumble to whoever you live with and, and you think negative things about them and you, you talk about them behind their back? When you do that, you are filling your mind with unwholesome words that just want to come out. Stop saying those things. Stop thinking those things and intentionally choose to think, intentionally choose to say some positive things behind their back. What's good about that person? Nothing. <laughs> no, no, force yourself to think about it. And if you can't think of anything, ask God to show you because God could tell you something. God made that person. And, and pray for them while you're at it. Not that God will fix them, but that God will bless them, that God will show, show you in what sense God has made that person fearfully and wonderfully. Force yourself to look for good things. Speak those things to yourself. Tell those things to the people you live with. And then over time, you'll find there are less negative words that want to come out of your mouth when that person is there in front of you. And then sixth, beware what comes after the but. No offense, but I don't mean to be rude, but I love you, but I like this thing about you, but once we say but, we've just negated everything that we said before. Beware what comes after the but. That, let that word but be a warning to you of what you're about to say next that it's probably not encouraging. Make sense? So, in conclusion, God is calling us, God is calling CBC to be an amazing community. We've tasted aspects of it. We've, there are incredible stories of, of how this church has, has at various times rallied around those who are in need, welcomed new people with warm hearts and open arms, accepted people with God's grace when they were expecting to be judged or, or overlooked, and so they discovered that God through Jesus Christ is a God of second chances and new beginnings. 
and they grew here and they were transformed here. But we haven't arrived yet as a church, have we? We still have plenty of growing to do. And and if we're going to continue to be a new community, a transformed community, growing in love, growing in maturity, growing in unity, then we need to work on our mouths. Trust me, if we can learn to, to build the body up and to avoid unwholesome talk, we will see things change here even more and there will be a warmth and a joy and there will be growth and powerful transformation as we build people up in love. So, practical takeaway. First, take a minute and think, is there something that you said this past week to someone that was not spoken in love, that did not build them up? I want to give you a minute. You may want to confess it to God. Later, you may want to apologize to that person. Just do that silently, you and God. And then a second practical takeaway is a, is a little assignment. Before the day is over, will you take time to encourage someone today to build them up? Walk up to them and do it. Call them and do it. Write them an email and do it. Make them a nice Facebook post and do it. Everyone else will get to see it too. Or um, we have some cards to help you. They're, they're out in the foyer. I meant to grab one to show you, but they're bright orange. You won't have trouble finding them. They have this verse on them. Take a card, write them a note, and give it to them. Will you encourage someone today? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs.